At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Get down now. Uh. No doubt now. Uh. Thursday morning, January 16th, 2020. Of beating the Book Podcast with Gil Alexander. Megapod for Championship Week. Yeah, yeah. Just two games. NFC Championship preceded by the AFC Championship. And as always, we have the regulars from Circus Sports, the conciliary to Derek Stevens, and of course also the Vice President of Operations by official title. It's Michael Palm. What's happening, Mike? Good morning, Gil. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm going to go through these games that happened last week because a couple of them anyway were unbelievable. And, of course, Todd Wishnev from the uh, Showtime docuseries Action. What's happening, Toddy? Hey. And our rotating guest back on the show for a playoff run. We wanted to have him here last week, but his podcast partner had a death in the family, so he was unable to join us, but he's here this week. He hosts the Lombardi Line Saturday and Sunday morning at VEASAN, along with Patrick Maher, 6 to 9 Pacific, 9 to noon Eastern every Saturday and Sunday morning. Has his own podcast called The GM Shuffle with Adnan Verk. Writes for The Athletic, and of course, the book is Gridiron Genius. It's our buddy Michael Lombardi. What's happening, Michael? Not much, Gil. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Hello, everyone. Hello, sir. We are happy to have you. I was saving you for the playoffs, for a return appearance on the playoffs, uh, in the playoffs, so I'm glad you're here. Let's begin, guys, because I don't think it's going to take very long. Two games, the winners of which, of course, advance to Super Bowl 54 two weeks down the road. Next week, by the way, it's our Vegas Lifestyle podcast. And then the week after that, our Super Bowl Props Super Bowl preview show. But as far as the championship games, first one is the AFC Championship between the Tennessee Titans and the Kansas City Chiefs. Kansas City right now... Seven-point favorites with extra juice. That's the consensus. Seven minus 120, somewhere in that pocket. Always shop around because these lines will vary. The total is at 53. The Titans are here by virtue of their win 
Of course, over the Baltimore Ravens, the Ravens become just the sixth team in the modern age to go 14-2 and two or better in the regular season than one and done in the playoffs. They do it with another, if you look at the box score, another ho-hum performance from their quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, only 88 yards passing. It was 72 the week before when the Titans beat the Patriots, but they don't need that kind of yardage when Derrick Henry's going 30 for 195, which is what he did against the Ravens. Also threw a touchdown pass on the jump pass. Uh, in that game. Just an unbelievable performance by Henry, but really it came down to high leverage moments. Tannehill had his chances. He made the most of them. Uh, His two touchdown passes also had one on the ground, plus three in turnovers for the Titans as well. And the biggest stat of the game, the Ravens, 0 for 4 on fourth downs. Huge. They're playing the Chiefs. The Chiefs, by an even more unbelievable turn of events in Kansas City, Houston up as we all watch, 24 to nothing. Kansas City dropping a couple third down conversions, a muffed punt. And then at 21 to nothing, Bill O'Brien decides to kick a field goal. He changes his mind. It goes to 24 to nothing. That seemed to change everything on that moment. McCole Hardman with a great kickoff return that led to the first Kansas City touchdown, 24 to 7. Then a fake punt that went to askance for the Chiefs ends up not converting. Short field, 24 14. Ensuing kickoff, fumble. Next thing you know, it's 24-21, and then 28-24 by the end of the half. Chiefs win it going away. Michael, we start with you. Again, Kansas City favored by seven. Your thoughts, sir, on the AFC Championship? Uh, You know, I think when you go back and watch the game in Week 10 and really break it down, you you really have a hard time understanding how Tennessee won the game. Had the ball 22 minutes. Kansas City was 7 for 14 on third down. They can asked they got Kansas City in a lot of third downs they really never stopped Kansas City uh and it took a lot of unusual events to occur uh at the at the end of the game with four minutes to go they come down they got a third and four that they don't convert they kick the field goal Tennessee gets the ball back again uh gets into a fourth and 17 can't convert that Chiefs are in prime position to uh and then all of a sudden, Mahomes, instead of taking, throwing, you know, laying down, takes a sack that moves the ball nine yards back. Bad snap. Now we get grounding because the, 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 the field goal kicker threw it out of bounds. And then Tennessee comes down. They leave 23 seconds left on the clock, just enough time to try a 52-yarder that gets blocked. I mean, when you watch the game, you say to yourself, how is this game even close? They really never stopped. I mean, I know they gained 500 yards, but they never really stopped Kansas City. Uh, they made Kansas City punt one time in the game, uh, and really they could have done anything they wanted to Kansas City, uh, to, to, to Tennessee the whole day. The thing that I get from the game, most importantly, and I think this reflects to the Baltimore game last week, even though Tennessee was down by nine in the, in the third quarter, they never changed who they were. They kept doing what they did because they, they're married to it. They can't run drop-back passes. Their offensive line can't pass protect. So they stayed with their run. They stayed with their play action. Tannehill made some plays with his feet, and they got themselves the lead in the game, and their defense made just enough plays on third and two like they have in the playoffs to convert. Can they duplicate this is the question, and can they duplicate it to where they can? And, and I'm having a hard time seeing it. I know they're playing better than they did then, but the Chiefs are playing better as well. Chris Jones was on the field for this game, so we understand that. But I think the the reality of this game is, can they cover the Chiefs well enough and play good enough defense to keep this game 
where it won't get away from them, and that's where I'm having a hard time. Sounds like you lay the points. Is that true, or am I saying too much there? I, 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 my, I, again, it's Thursday. Chris Jones, if he doesn't play, and he didn't practice today, and there's a good chance he probably doesn't play, but he played in the last If he doesn't play, I'm definitely taking the Titans and the points. I don't think they'll win, but I'm taking the Titans and the points. Mike Palm from Circus Sports, uh, a couple other things about uh, this past weekend. One, Bill O'Brien, not only the change of mind on fourth and one, a, where he elects to go for a field goal to make it 24 to nothing. He, he didn't, Gil, he didn't change his mind on that, just so we're clear on this. I mean, he thought it was a first down. They had t- they, he thought it was a first down, so he was sending out the next play. He didn't change his mind. I stand corrected. He, he did- was sending he was sending he thought it was first and ten. And so he sent out that group. And then when he realized it was fourth down, he was going to take the points. And you certainly are entitled to criticize for taking the points. There's no doubt. I'm not saying yeah. that. But I, I don't think he ch- my point to you is he didn't change his mind. They they basically let him think it was first down. I stand corrected on that. I'll tell you where he did change his mind, though. Texans were down 17 with just over 11 minutes to play, and it looked like yep. the Texans were going to punt the football. And then and Bill O'Brien changed, changed no his mind. So, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, that that was certainly a change of mind late in the game, and that was very O'Brien-esque, peculiar at the end of that game. Uh, Mike Palm, your thoughts. Kansas City favored by seven, total 53. Yeah, Gil. Um I want to go back to the first game as well Please. that Michael referenced in Week 10. I mean, he's right. They never stopped Kansas City. They outgained them 530 to 371. In addition to all the hijinks in the last five minutes of that game, let's not forget Rashawn Evans had a 53-yard fumble recovery return for a touchdown that was one of Tennessee's scores. You know, Tannehill only threw the ball 19 times in that game as well, not unlike what his, uh, they've asked him to do in the playoffs here. Um I just don't think that Tennessee is going to be able to slow down Kansas City. I think the fact that Kansas City lost this game in Week 10 will get them out to a better start than they had against Houston. They'll be more focused. They can't lose another title game, Andy Reid. You know? I don't think they're going to be tight at home because of the big comeback that they had uh, last weekend against the Texans. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna lay the seven points here with Kansas City and feel pretty comfortable about it. Just to jog people's memory about that game, that was Week Ten, Tennessee thirty-five, Kansas City thirty-two. As the guys have alluded to, Tannehill throws a twenty-three yarder to Adam Humphreys with twenty-three seconds left. Joshua Kalu blocked the last-second field goal attempt, fifty-two uh, yarder to to get that final score of thirty-five to thirty-two. That was the game that Mahomes was coming off the knee injury. It was his first game back. Uh, and the Titans only had a chance after a bad snap by the Chiefs on Harrison Butker's fifth field goal attempt of the day. Kansas City coach uh, Andy Reid blamed the communication for the snap, taking holder Dustin Colquitt by surprise. He threw the ball away in desperation for intentional grounding. That set the Titans up at their own 39, and that's when they matriculated. Gil, one, Gil, one, one quick question. I just want to ask Mike Palm, who's an expert on officials. Do we realize that Carrente officiated this game in Nashville the last time, Mike? Yeah, we realize it. And I want to I want to ask you this: Does Does Tony Parenti have pictures of Riveron with Goodell's wife? And how is he getting this game again, Michael? He's embarrassing. Not only did, not only was he horrible in the wild card game in Houston four weeks earlier on Sunday Night Football, there was confusion on every play with his crew when the Patriots were down there. I mean, he can't do it anymore. He was fired as a supervisor of officials of the Pac-12 six years ago. 
his career has deteriorated. He's not the official he was 15 years ago. I don't get it, Michael. You know, I don't either. And I think when you really watch the tape of this game, he had a huge influence on Kansas City's slow start. I mean, Kansas City turns the ball over early, uh, and it's 7 nothing, And they get all of a sudden, they got first and 10. They think they score, and there's just repeated. There's an offensive pass interference call. There's a holding call. I mean, that's why it was 10 to nothing early instead of being 14 to nothing early. He actually, I mean, he called 17 penalties in this last game. So, you know, and he's going to be, his influence is going to be in this game. And if you take the Titans and the points, prepare yourself for that. Todd, uh, one last thing about the Chiefs last week. And I mentioned this with Michael on Tuesday when he was on a numbers game at VEASAN on Sirius XM 204. I mentioned it on Monday when I was doing the autopsy of this game. But there was that moment as Kansas City, and I had it in-game on Kansas City when they were down 14 nothing at minus 141. I did it again at minus 120. Didn't do it until it got to 24-7 to after that. Uh, and then it was plus 167, so I missed the best bang for your buck. But still, I never had a doubt that Kansas City would win. But it's 24-21. to It's first and goal at the five with 58 seconds left in the first half. And at that point, if you're Andy Reid, the correct game theory thing to do, right, is to at least incorporate a run to bleed the clock so that if, in fact, when Kansas City, if and when, and we can assume at least a field goal there, if and when Kansas City scores, Houston will have as little time as possible to operate with at the end of the first half. Instead, pass, pass, pass. They do get the touchdown to make it 28-24 to on the Mahomes to Kelsey touchdown, but only 20 seconds elapses, and Houston does matriculate the ball down the field. They do get a field goal attempt. It doesn't go in. They don't convert it. But it's those little moments that do give me just a little pause about Andy Reid in these moments in the playoffs. And I'm just curious if you thought the same. You know, of course you have to worry about Andy Reid. He's the genius schemer but has had situational issues in the past. So you always have to think about that. But I don't think it's going to be a, a factor this week. I think Kansas City is a much better team. By the way, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but the last seven games since that Tennessee game, Kansas City has not only won the game but has covered the spread. Seven games in a row in the National Football League to cover the spread is really remarkable. I mean, we know how tight the NFL lines are, and to cover seven in a row, you know, it doesn't happen often. Let's put it that way. Now, if you remember, the, the, the previous game was the first game with Mahomes back after they had that Minnesota game where um, Matt Moore was in, and then, of course, Mahomes comes back. He was rusty, and even with the rust, as you guys have all mentioned a million times here, in the fourth quarter, they're up by nine, really should be up 16 because of the Tennessee. One of the touchdowns was a fumble. It's 29-20 with 11.54 to go in that game in the fourth quarter. This, this, There's no way Kansas City should lose this game. Now, they were at Tennessee, and some weird hijinks happened, and that's what happened. But it's not going to happen in Kansas City, I don't think. And I think it could be uh, curtains for Tennessee. I would lean Kansas City. And usually we see in the championship games, for point spread purposes, the favorites usually do very, very well in the uh, championship games, if I if I remember correctly. Yo, can I just ask one, one quick question to Mike? Because I've been dying to ask him this the whole time. Please. Um, Mike, you know how teams have third down and 15 packages and they throw the ball, you know, they, they bring in their dime package, they throw the ball underneath, the team gets 12 yards, it's fourth down, everybody puts their hand up, fourth down, and they punt the ball, right? That's usually when, mm -hmm. when the other team is in their own side of the field. So, of course, let's say you're at your own 20, you throw a little 12-yard pass, you punt the ball. But when they're at the 50-yard line and it's third and 15, 
it seems to me they're in the same dime package and they give up a 12-yard pass to the 38. They all get excited that it's fourth down. They put their fist up in the air, fourth down, and they don't realize, oh, well, the team's going to go for it because now it's only fourth and three from the 35. Do teams have different packages for third and 15, whether they're the other teams at midfield versus whether the other teams all the way deep in their own end? Yeah, no doubt they do. I mean, they have you know they have a line, and usually you determine that line in pregame warmup when you watch the opposing field goal kicker, you know, kick. And so the defense coordinator knows that you know if any time the ball is on the thirty-eight or in, they can make this field goal. So you know that's the point territory we have to do. The quarterback needs to know it too because if he takes a sack at any point on the field at that that area, they're losing points. And if he gets outside there, so. Yeah, it's pretty much communicated and, and it's talked about. And look, sometimes you get people, you get them off guard, and and they uh, they they do stupid things, and guys break a tackle. We saw it, you know, with Houston play Buffalo. Hargraves got a chance to make a tackle, get off the field, he can't do it. Next thing you know, you know, uh, you know, Houston's uh, you know got the ball, and they keep the drive alive. So, yeah, I think it, it's linked to the field goal kicker, and that distance is always tied with what he can make. But aside from the field goal kicker, are they anticipating that the other team, let's say it's even, let's say you're at your own 46, they get 12 yards, they're now at the like the uh, 45, and now it's fourth and three, and they're going to go for it. Do they do they anticipate that the other team may actually go for it on fourth down? Well, you tell me who we're playing. If it's Doug Peterson, they definitely anticipate it. If it's Pete Carroll, they may not. You know, I I think a lot of that. That's where that's where analytics doesn't really help you. That's where I wrote the column in the Athletic. Is it's all situational, right? You know, if it's Peterson, you know he's going for it. If it's the Baltimore Ravens, you've got to play four-down defense at every part of the field. If you're playing somebody who's a little bit more conservative, you know, then, you know, you don't have to. And so it all pre- it's all predicated on who you're playing. Interesting. And that third-down call, so we're clear, that third-down call should be reflective of that. You know, the thing you don't want to do on third and 15 is get called for defensive holding. That's the last thing you want to do. You know, you don't want to be grabbing somebody and pulling somebody. So you want to play a little bit more zone, and you don't want to be able to, you know, you don't want to get too much hand grabbing and all that. So that's why there's not a lot of man coverage on those third and longs because nobody wants to get caught pulling and tugging. NFC Championship follows the AFC Championship on Sunday. Kickoff 3.40 p.m. Pacific, 6.40 p.m. Eastern at Santa Clara, Niners, seven and a half point favorites over the Packers. Total is at, let's call it 46 consensus, though I do see a 46 and a half at Circa. I see a 45 and a half at CG in Las Vegas. Uh, Niners get here by virtue of their 27 to 10 win over the Minnesota Vikings this past Saturday. They were seven point favorites. Uh, was nip and tuck there in the first half, and I got the feeling, and I think Kyle Shanahan felt the same way based on what happened thereafter that the Niners could really name their score if Jimmy Garoppolo just didn't really mess it up for them with the turnover. And we saw a subsequent drive in the second half where the Niners did nothing but run all the way down the field into the end zone. It really was all Niners in the second half and really won it going away after a nip-and-tuck first half. So the Niners get the home field. They, of course, first uh, seed in the NFC playoffs. My NFC futures on the Niners still alive from before the playoffs began, about plus 113 and plus 123. Um, then there's the Green Bay Packers. The Packers got here by virtue of their 28-23 to 23 win over the Seahawks as four-and-a-half-point closing favorites on Sunday. 
that game, as Michael, you and I discussed on Tuesday uh, on a numbers game, is typical of every Seahawks game seemingly all year long, which is it's a one-score game. And the Seahawks, by the way, end up finishing the season uh, 11-3 and in one-score games, this being a three if you include the playoffs, this being the third. But the Seahawks fall behind. And then it's as if Pete Carroll says, well, Russell, go get us out of this hole. And Russell Wilson does Russell Wilson things, but it was too short in the end. And Green Bay holds on based on two huge third down conversions by Aaron Rodgers uh, after Seattle elected to punt with just over two minutes left with all three of their timeouts in pocket. Michael Lombardi, we will start with you as there's only two games. We go around the horn. San Francisco, seven and a half point favorites, total 46. What do you think here? Well, I mean, the last time they played, it really wasn't a close game. I mean, the, the Packers were one for 15 on third down. They had about 35 minutes, which uh, to me is a complete remarkable analysis of how do you keep the ball for 35 minutes, yet you're one for 15 on third down, and you have less than 200 yards. Somewhat remarkable, right? I mean, and, yeah. you know, they did a good job of holding the 49ers. The 49ers were only two for four in the red zone, and, and, and they scored 35 points. So, I mean, this is kind of a, a weird game. Uh, obviously, I think it was one of those games that, you know, the score is probably uh, indicative of how badly the, the Packers played and how dominant it was. And again, like all 49er games, I think this is a game that's going to come down to the ability of the 49ers front to dominate and pressure Aaron Rodgers from the inside against the guards, Jenkins, and against Billy Turner. You have to be able to pressure Rodgers inside, and they've got to take Devontae Adams out. I think the limitations within the Packer offense if they can't run the football, greatly favors the 49ers. And I think this is a game between Kyle Shanahan and Mike Pettin. Guys know each other really well. We're on the staff. LaFleur was on the staff. I mean, there's so much familiarity to what everybody does here. I'm going to go with Kyle, and I'm going to lay the points here. That point about Devontae Adams to me is everything. Like, he was the offense for the Packers, and it would just seem to me that the Niners would try to take him out of that. Wide receivers, no one else had more than one reception against the Seahawks. By the way, that game that you're referring to, of course, between the Niners and the Packers uh, earlier this season, 37-8 to in favor. It would have been 37-0, Gil. If you remember, there was a phantom call in the end zone at the end of the first half on oh, the that's third and right. Do you remember when, when uh, Rodgers, they called two penalties on Richard Sherman, I believe, in the end zone, where they didn't even show the replay that's right. because it was such a bullcrap call. Bullcrap. And 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 they gave them the touchdown because they, you know, who knows why they gave them the touchdown. But that game should have been 37 nothing, if or 37-3 at worst. Yeah, we talked about that the next day, how there was no replay that we even got to see. But 37-8 was the final. It was Week 12. It was a primetime game. Rodgers threw for 104 yards. He was sacked five times. Uh, as Michael said, less than 200 yards of total offense. It was 198. Green Bay... As Michael said, one of 15 on third downs. There was not a game in the NFL this year that had a worse third down statistic than that. Now, that's a double-edged sword, right? Because you can say if you're a Packer backer in this, you could say, well, they can't be that bad again. Uh, on the other hand, if you choose to view that as reflective of what's going to happen here moving forward, that's a different story. George Kittle, by the way, doing Kittle things in that game. Six for 129 and a touchdown. Mikey. Yeah, Gil, the thing was when the Packers finally scored, they went right to Kittle and had a big play and answered him, and that was really the game. Um, I agree with Michael. I think that, uh, you know, in this in this game, the Packers won in the divisional round. There was no pass rush from Seattle. They're going to have to face a, a team that's going to put pressure on them almost every down. And I simply don't think, and I said this early in the year, 
that this Packers defense is very good. I think that San Francisco will do just about whatever they want to do here. Outside of it, Garoppolo has a horrible game. Now, is that possible? It's possible, but I don't think it's very likely. I, I like San Francisco a lot in this spot, Gil, and I'll, I'll lay the points here. And I want to ask Michael a question related to the game in Green Bay last weekend. Michael, that that face mask that really wasn't a face mask against Clowney, um, where they eventually got together, and you always say when official, three or more officials get together, they're talking about what they didn't see, and then they came up with he grabbed the opening. Well, he didn't. He pulled him down from the back outside of the helmet. Uncle, Here's my question, Michael. Uncle Brent said on the show this week what they ought to do is get rid of reviewing pass interference calls and be able to review face mask calls. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, look, face mask calls are easy to review. It's either did or it didn't. It's like, you know, uh, we, we got to be able to see it. And sometimes they, they react to what they think they see. And usually that's wrong, as I've said many times. When they react to something, you know, it's usually wrong. So, yeah, I mean, I wish we could do that. I wish we could speed it up so that they could do it and handle it easier. By the way, weather for these games in San Francisco, sunny and a 57-degree high in Santa Clara on Sunday. And the Kansas City Chiefs game, much like the Packers game last week, no precipitation, 0% chance. 22 degrees will feel like it's 14 degrees, but could be much worse for all intents and purposes this time of year. So no inclement weather anyway, just cold in Kansas City. Todd, your thoughts here. I I think you have to look at San Francisco and um, possibly also the under 46 and a half. I know they're betting it up a little bit, but, uh, you know, I I, I noticed something about the Niners – you had a little bit of jittery Jimmy there last week where he threw one pick and he threw a couple other balls that, you know, he's probably the luckiest quarterback of all time. He gets more balls that should be picked and the defense drops him. You know, those expected uh, interception ratio, he has a hell of a, a, a Babbitt, Babbitt or a lucky. Yeah. He has a lucky Babbitt on those. But it, no, it, it I noticed in the second half, as, as I'm sure you guys did, that he, they didn't throw the ball at all. They just said, we're willing to get six-yard chunks We'll just keep getting six-yard chunks, and we'll win this game easily because we know Kirk Cousins can't do anything, and he's under siege every time he drops back to pass. So I think that Green Bay got really earned three points in the last game. I mean, is Green Bay's offense really told us that it's the usual Aaron Rodgers' tremendous Green Bay offense? It doesn't look like that the last couple weeks or even all season for that matter. So I don't see Green Bay scoring a lot of points here. And if San Francisco gets a lead, I have a feeling Mr. Shanahan's going to go right back to handing the ball off, taking five yards and punting the ball. We could see a scoreless fourth quarter here, and it could be, you know, 30 to 7 going to the fourth quarter and it stays under because they're just willing to run the ball the whole rest of the game. So I would certainly be careful if it's a Niner if, if Niners are up big in the second half you you might want to definitely be looking at under and I would lean to the under and I also lean to San Francisco. Garoppolo was 11 of 19 in the game last week against Minnesota, only 11 completed passes, uh 131 yards, one touchdown, one pick, was sacked twice, but you know, you don't need to like we see with Ryan Tannehill, you don't need to win football games, you know, by conventional ways or what what people would deem conventional when you've got other strengths in your in your football team. They held the ball for 38 minutes and 27 seconds, did the Niners, against the Vikings. They held the Vikings to 2 of 12 on third down, held the Vikings to 147 total yards, only 21 on the ground. Uh, Niners defense flies around. So as far as... Yeah. 
Yeah, go ahead, Todd. Good deal. I just wanted to ask Mike one other thing. You know, I really love this the segments you you do on a numbers game with Gil on Tuesdays, Mike. And you you talked about missed field goals a lot being a major problem for the other team. Um, and when you said that missed field goals score, you know, very high ratio, is that just because the field position is so good for the offense? So, for instance, if a team misses a 47-yard field goal, the other team gets it at the 37-yard line. They're only 63 yards away from a touchdown. Does that? Are you saying that after a missed field goal, it the reason they're scoring so much is because they're getting that great field position, or is it something that you know momentum, meaning any other drive that started at the 37, wouldn't score as much as a missed field goal drive starting at the 37? Or are you just saying I it's, definitely? It's be- yeah, go ahead. I definitely think momentum carries on to it, but I also think it's that it's what it's a turnover, and the team celebrates it like a turnover, and then the offense can get going a little bit. And I think when you look at the teams, you know that that. Like, for example, when we take, you know, Kansas City this week going into the game, they rank 25th in the league and their opponents miss field goals, you know. So, and then when you look at Tennessee, Tennessee's 23rd. So, even though they're ninth, Tennessee's ninth in turnovers, their opponents 23rd in missed field goals. So, that kind of balances it out. And Kansas City's seventh in turnovers, but their opponents are 25. So, they don't really net a, a huge advantage. San Francisco's fourth and 13 in terms of field turnovers, fourth. Miss field goals, they rank 13th. And then Green Bay, when you look at what they are, they're third and 10th. So both teams really are kind of similar in the field goal, field goal. Last time they played Kansas City, you know, they bo- both teams missed extra points. Both teams missed extra points. Both teams missed field goals. And ultimately, the special teams of Kansas City, when you watch that tape, I mean, you can watch it a thousand times and you're going to ask yourself the question, how did we lose that game? I think that's a great point about the uh, the missed field goals, though, the way that you couched it there at the end, Michael, of, you know, it's not something that broadcasters talk about in the in-game play-by-play broadcast. It's not something that is discussed on pregame shows, conventional pregame shows on network TV. But what you were describing, sort of the basketball equivalent, this is kind of a dirty analogy, but Aaron Schatz and I used to joke about free throw defense, right? Where we don't ever talk about how fortunate or unfortunate teams get on just the conversion rate of the opposing team on free throws. We don't process that. Our brain doesn't process that. And it does mitigate what you're saying on on the field goals uh, of the opposing teams. It does mitigate the turnover stat to some degree. Well, yes, they're doing well on turnovers, but they haven't really gotten the best of it, say, on this particular thing where teams actually do convert field goals all the time against them. So they haven't had as many opportunities. Just one of the things that I'm assuming you talk about on the Lombardi line every Saturday and Sunday. That's great stuff that you don't hear typically. So so It matters. It matters tremendously because, you know, it's, it's a net effect of how many times you're really gaining the football. And if you don't count missed field goals into the turnover ratio, it can be really deceiving. I mean, Dallas this year, for example, was the number one team in the opponents missing field goals, you know, and that they were only 18th in turnovers, you know, and so they had a lot of extra chances. Whereas Philadelphia, you know, they weren't great at field goal kicking. They were they weren't great at creating turnovers. Twenty fifth, and they got thirty two. They find thirty second in the National Football League and missed field goals by their opponents. Yeah, and Dallas two seasons ago was tremendous in one score games. And not so much. It regressed, as you might predict, this year. So maybe Dallas, in through a couple different lenses, wasn't nearly as good as many thought they were at uh, different times of this season. Bill, you, you know how a lot of, a lot of um, 
uh, handicappers on season win totals will look at what the turnover ratio was the year before and see, and that's kind of what you're talking about right there, right. is the fortunateness of the team. So if a team was like plus 20 in turnovers, they're really not that good of a team. And now here's a hidden turnover stat that Mike Lombardi's talking about that we really should be looking at if we're going to be doing that same analysis next year saying, hey, a team was plus 20 in turnovers, but hey, they also got, you know, the Cowboys also got all these missed field goals too. They're really not that good. But Mike, if I understand you correctly, you're basically saying if a team misses a field goal and now they're starting, the other team starts at the 37, they're going to do better on that drive than if they were just to get a kickoff return to the 37. Get a punt return to the 37, you know, and that's it. Like Baltimore, for example. Here's a perfect example. Baltimore is sixth in the National Football League in turnovers. They are fifth in missed field goals by their opponent. That's significant, right? They're getting extra possessions every time they turn around. They're never losing possession. And my brain would say, Todd, that regardless if you want to debate momentum or not, missed field goals, generally speaking, will give you field position that much closer to the opposing end zone, right? Because you spot it right where the kicker misses it, not at the line of scrimmage. So it's really shorter fields more often than not. And in analytics, you know you know what every down and distance from the opposing goal line, there is an expected point value. So if you really wanted to get wonky and nerdy with it, that's really what's at the root of it, in my opinion. Yeah, but it, it would be interested. It would be interesting to do to do a comparison of teams starting at the thirty-five at their own thirty-five after a missed field goal versus teams starting at a thirty-five for any other reason, and see how if there was actually a momentum factor to a missed field goal. Be interesting. It would, but it, Isaac it, did that. The guy who won the circuit, he 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 computed all this. Isaac did all this. This is what Isaac was doing with his database. I mean, he was he's ahead of everybody, and that's why he was so good at being able to handicap games, and that's why he won the circuit contest. I mean, he took he would send me his his breakdown every week, and it was all based on the things we talked about the the, the, the who's good in the, who's good in, in the eight minute who's good who's good in uh the middle eight i mean i love i love now how uh chris fowler calls it the middle eight I oh love that. every time uh, he says it i think of you i'm like up oh, lombardi yeah never quotes it you know never quotes it and then he starts then i heard him start talking about four point plays too so i mean i think that's really the number i mean that's the core of the foot the game right and the people that are handicapping these games the best understand what really matters in the game. And I think the Tennessee team is a complete, uh, it's a complete dossier of what really matters in the game. And everybody's focused on Henry, but no one talks about how good they have been in short yardage defense. The Patriots have the ball first and goal at the one. They don't get in. Baltimore is the best fourth down team in football, 10 for 10 can't get on fourth and one twice. Both times those points turn, they turn into touchdowns both times. The, the things that matter, if you study that, it'll lead you to what the teams are really good. These other numbers, I don't know, the Aikman ratings or all that, like, I'm not sure they have all this stuff in it. This is the stuff that matters in football. Well, this is, this is the stuff that baseball has figured out through analytics for decades now. It's all in the public domain, but we just don't quite have the same true reflection of skill set thing in football, and this is sort of a dabbling in it. Uh, Todd, my question would be, why didn't Isaac, because I thought you're, that's your buddy, why didn't he send you that stuff? I guess I'm not, uh, you know, uh, important enough. Apparently not. Jesus, that's your buddy. I, I mean, I'm not saying I'm important. I just, I think what, what he was, you know, like, I think he read the book. I think he's smart. And he took a lot of the things from the book 
from reading Coach Walsh, reading my book, and I think he put it into a formula, and he came out with his power rankings. Because, remember, this is no different than scouting. We're trying to eliminate games. This is why picking playoff games are hard, because you can't eliminate any game, mm-hmm. right? You know, the every week you need to eliminate games, you know, not find teams you like. You've got to eliminate games, and you have to have a disciplined way to do it. If you don't eliminate, you're really, you know, I tell people the story all the time when 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 Tom Corcoran was driving over down a road in, in Oklahoma and he went right to uh, find Mickey Mantle. That you know that that's that's lucky. That's hitting the lottery. Whereas you know the, he you in scouting you have to eliminate people. You got to eliminate players, not find them. Maybe we'll get Isaac on for the uh, Super Bowl prop show. Maybe we'll get him on, see if he has any thoughts. By on the way, Steele, it's not like I know the guy that well. He just came I up to me know, twice. I'm just joshing. I was kidding. <laughs> for God's sakes. By the way, he is a by the way, he is a bright guy. If you talk to him for like fifteen minutes, because he's a, in financial stuff. Yes. And I used to be in financial stuff. And so we talked about that. You can tell right away that he this guy is is a bright kid. Yeah, I spoke with him for about ten minutes. Uh, I enjoyed him very much. I could tell very quickly he was a smart kid. For sure. As always, guys, support for today's show comes from Bookmaker.eu, an industry leader for close to 30 years. Pro players consider them a must because their first to post odds take the highest limits and pride themselves on never having kicked out a winning player. That is huge. Bookmaker's a high-volume sports book best suited for the sophisticated player, also caters to large recreational players, and their motto is always is where the lines originate because chances are the sports book at which you've been betting follows their lines. Pretty damn good chance, as a matter of fact. And right now, if you visit bookmaker.eu slash gill, that's bookmaker.eu slash g-i-l-l, you'll claim your exclusive 100% welcome bonus of up to $300. That's bookmaker.eu slash gill to join and claim your welcome bonus of up to $300 right now. You will not regret it. Betting the only way I know how, the indispensable, bookmaker.eu. Check it out. Thank me later. Okay. Uh, so here's how I'm betting this, gentlemen, because we're not going to do our final two questions because obviously there's only two games. But I'll just like to throw out for people, here's how I'm betting it. One, I have Niners futures in pocket to win the NFC. So because I have those, it does change the way I'm betting it. I will bet Green Bay plus the points and try to hit both bets. Um, that's how I'll do it. I'm not going to. I don't know if I'm going to. You know, I could just. I could just sit on my San Francisco futures, but I think that's a lot of points. Also, so I think I'll do that. If I didn't have those NFC futures, I would probably just do one teaser, and for me, it would probably be teasing San Francisco down. And I know this goes against what most of you guys are saying, but I'd probably tease Tennessee upwards to 13, 13 and a half, whatever I could get it at based on the number. So if it got to eight, for instance, I would absolutely tease Tennessee. Uh, I'm curious what, if any bets, any of you gentlemen will have. Mike Palm, what are you doing? You know, I, uh, I'm going to tease both favorites down um, essentially to a pick and uh, a teaser. And then I'm going to play the under in the San Francisco game that Todd alluded to as well. I think that uh, I, I I just don't know that Rodgers is going to be able to put up that many points with the pressure that the 49ers are going to be able to get on him. And I know one for 15 is probably an aberration, but I don't see 
that San Francisco is going to be able to put the or that that uh, Green Bay is going to be able to put the in, ball in the end zone against this defense. I think it's a little high that total. I, I would have make this total closer to 42, 42 and a half. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, and that's why I'm not like a hundred percent sure I'll bet Green Bay plus the points and try to hit both of them. I may just sit, I may just stand pat uh, on my Niners futures. I really haven't completely made up my mind there. Todd, what are you betting? How are you betting? Uh, before before I say that, uh, Mike, you might also want to look at instead of teasing them down, you might want to look at the money line parlay and see if it's better than the uh, teaser odds. You know. Yes, I will do that. I will do that. I'm going to wait to see uh, where these numbers go. Uh, I think we'll be set on seven uh, uh, with Kansas City. I, I'm thinking that maybe the Green uh, Bay will come down to seven, two, and the money line will go down with it. Yeah, um, I would think what I'm I'm going to be leaning to the under, as I mentioned before. I think there's a decent chance that San Francisco could be ahead by you know a decent amount late and want to just run the ball out like they did against Minnesota last week. So I'll probably be leaning to the under there. And um, I may take a shot with Kansas City here because I just think Kansas City is much better and, and this could get out of hand. So I'll probably be leaning on that. And of course, there's always a chance I'll just be in-gaming like usual. Yeah, by the way, the money line parlay at this juncture would not be a more favorable bet. Well, it would depend on, on how many point teaser it is, right? Yeah, but what I'm saying is for that you would be laying minus, let's say it's minus 120 on a six-point teaser. You're laying more than that right now if you do the money yeah, it's line. About minus, it's about minus one, a little over minus 130 for the money line barley. Yeah. Michael Lombardi, I don't generally ask you this, but if you were a betting man, what would you bet here? You know, I mean, if I were a betting man, I, I, I think I thought Kansas City was a Super Bowl team starting with a trip to Mexico City and have played like one. Uh I agree that you know they they're tough. The Tennessee's had this an unbelievable thing, but when I watch that game, I, I can't believe that Tennessee can really do anything more than what they did. You know, and and I thought they were fortunate. My instincts would tell me to bet Kansas City, but without Chris Jones, I'm a little bit nervous about that because the one thing about Tennessee is they're even if they're down early, they're not going to change who they are. They're going to throw it. They're going to run it with this big guy, and he's hard to tackle, and it's going to be a problem. So, you know, if my if I did anything, I think San Francisco, I think Green Bay, the pressure is going to get to Aaron Rodgers. It may not happen in the first quarter, but it's going to happen through the game. And when they take Adams out of the game, then what's going to happen? And I think the Niners are just too good. Yeah, Michael means the physical pressure, not the uh, the mental pressure when talking about Aaron Rodgers, obviously. Right, yes, exactly. Um, and then the final thing would be, it sounds like everybody here, I mean, I still like Tennessee a little. I bet Tennessee, but I think Kansas City gets there. It sounds like everybody thinks it's a San Francisco-Kansas City Super Bowl. Is that also the matchup you want to see? San Francisco-Kansas City, Michael Lombardi? You know, I think that would, that would be the best matchup because, you know, a great defensive line against a great quarterback – a great running game. I mean, it's got all the elements of a great Super Bowl, so who wouldn't want that, right? Yeah. I think you that's know, what I'd like to see. We know, as we know in sports, what we want and what we get are two different things. Yeah. If Tennessee can keep winning playing the 72 Dolphins style of football, God bless them. Here's the thing. I wouldn't mind seeing Tennessee in. They've been very good to me during the playoffs. I absolutely don't want to see Green Bay in there because I just think they, uh, they are a paper tiger at 14-3. and three with apologies to Green Bay fans. I just don't think they're that good of a football team. Mike and Todd, same thing. You want to see San Francisco, Kansas City as well? I do for sure. I mean, you could have a full prop sheet just on the matchup of the two tight ends. 
Yeah, so true. Todd, same? I, I would agree. I mean, of course, if it's if it's a football game, I'll be betting it regardless of who's playing, whether it's Incarnate Word going up against Cal Baptist. <laughs> I'll be interested in watching it and in-gaming it. You love Incarnate Word. Gentlemen, thank you. We've done all we can do. Mikey Palm, Todd Wishnev, thank you as always. We'll talk to you for the Vegas Lifestyle Show next week. So do your, do your lists on restaurants in Vegas and whatever else it is that you find entertaining in Las Vegas. We can go in all kinds of tentacles. So do that. We'll do that next week. And Michael Lombardi, host of the Lombardi line at VEASAN, also writes for The Athletic. Uh, of course, the podcast is uh, The GM Shuffle with Adnan Verk and Gridiron Genius is the book. Michael, thank you as always, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday on a numbers game. Thank you, Gil. Thank you, Michael. Thank you all. Good luck with all your bets this weekend. Championship week in the NFL. Thank you so much for listening. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.